back page titles in the, in the, our, in the Chicago Tribune saying, you know, 15 people shot this weekend. And it's kind of, it, it's almost wow. numbing, like. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. Uh, we are going to be chatting with Greg Hickey a little bit later about his dystopian novel and ballistics and all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, we're going to be checking in with our Grand American regular Justin and talking about the Bigfoot conference he went to. And that'll be fun too. But first, as always, Graham, that's probably why I got kicked out of the conspiracy group, Dunlop. How's it going, buddy? I shouldn't have told you. I knew I shouldn't have told you. I didn't really want to talk about it on the show. I wish you would have just told me on the air because I I burst out laughing. (laughs) I haven't seen you laugh that hard in a long time. (laughs) How's it going, Justin? I'm not sure if I should talk about that or not. We don't need to get into it. We could leave it at that. I know. Justin wants to know now. You can tell me off air if you want. Yeah, no, this guy, me and and this other guy got removed from our conspiracy alien truth meetup group. So that's all I'm going to say. Because there might be a lot of listeners from from that group. So shout out, think, shout out to all the guys. Wish I could be there next time. <laughs> do you think you being removed was part of the conspiracy? Yeah, maybe. Maybe you're getting too close to the truth. Yeah, on the podcast. <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> okay. that's it wasn't his decision. He was influenced. They threatened his family. That's probably what it was. Well, you made the right choice. Yeah. That's it. I'm getting close, too close to the truth. That's it. I wonder what it is. Somewhere in the middle. <laughs> How's it going, Justin? Oh, it's going pretty good. Busy, busy week. Welcome back. How's it, we were just here a couple days ago. Was it? Well, wasn't it yeah, Saturday? It was, was it was Saturday? By then, yeah, it was Saturday. That's why it feels like we we're just recording. Because we were just recording. That's right. So we wanted to get a little deeper into the Sasquatch Summit, though, and I don't know, for some reason, I feel like I'm getting more interested in this topic myself, um, although I was, I've always sort of been interested in it, but it seems like, like it's getting 50 more... Sasquatch shirts that are hanging around the studio. Yeah, it can be... <laughs> I could have something to do with it. Yeah, you know, I've noticed a trend in you guys' shows lately that Sasquatch will come up at least once in most of your episodes. Wow. That's good. Really when we're peddling the shirt. Debate, but. Well, so that's what I was going to ask you. So this conference, uh, you know, filled with people, like-minded people that obviously have some sort of um, interest in, in the big guy. Um, does, does this to shoot or not to shoot come up a lot? Um, it doesn't actually in the little Sasquatch field guide that they give you when you first get there, the very first page. It, says something about like the harassing of Bigfoot or Sasquatch uh, or other undiscovered species is a felony, felony punishable by a fine imprisonment. And it is in a few counties here in Washington. I think I mentioned the uh, last time, not last Saturday, but the last time I was on in Skamania County, it is illegal to, uh, to hunt Bigfoot and, you know, other undiscovered species. Um, but actually th- there was a couple, there was, there was a, Two people, I believe they were from the Olympic Project. But um, yeah, I'm not going to get too much into that, but I will say it does come up because uh, I was thinking about writing a blog on the kill or no kill after something 
one of the presentations I heard. And uh, I don't know if it's going to sway any of the Grimerica listeners, but uh, it was definitely interesting. And uh, so, yeah, you guys can look forward to that. Hmm. So, so we, we were tweeting about that uh, cause we had that poll and then those oh, two, yeah. and then yeah. those two brothers uh, tweeted that they wanted, were they, are they going to come on the show now? They, they were shot. supposed to come on the show, yeah. The guy that we shot. Apparently, the they guy shot that him. shot Bigfoot from yeah. like three feet away, twice. Are you talking about Rick Dyer? Not no. Rick Dyer. Justin Smeja? Maybe. Maybe <laughs> Justin Smeja? Yeah, I can't remember. And I can't get to it quickly either. Because he was supposed to get audio... back. Continue. Oh, the, the audio that you played. Um, in the intro um, about the person killing Bigfoot in the last episode. Yes. You, that was that was the Rick Dyer. That was from Rick Dyer when he claimed he killed Bigfoot and was touring around with um, taxidermy body Hank the Bigfoot and he was charging people basically our generation's Minnesota. I wrote a blog on it, our generation's Minnesota Iceman. Oh yeah, um, right, 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 yeah. That's Rick Dyer. Justin Smeja um Claim to kill, I believe, an adult and a juvenile. No, this. Watch. Oh yeah, okay. And he was on um, the Million Dollar Bigfoot Bounty, and um, the Bigfoot Files, where Brian Sykes was taking all his DNA samples. Um, and yeah, he, he's in, been in other shows. I believe Killing Bigfoot was a like a documentary film ish thing that he it was about his incident. Hmm. That's, that's not you're talking about. No, though? I think these brothers uh, they they shot him twice, but nothing happened. Didn't even phase Bigfoot. Oh, those are even better stories. Yeah, hey Darren, wasn't that the gist of it? Yeah, I can't remember his name. Apparently, he was on an episode of something, and he was going to talk to his brother because I wanted it to get both of them on at the same time. Yeah. If I went through my messages, I could find it, but it's it's no, it's too hard. It's been yeah, a while now. it's fucking too hard to go back in Twitter like a week and a half. Twitter's tough, yeah. With all those tweets you send out, Graham. See, if we hashtagged fucking kill Sasquatch or save Sasquatch, then it would be easy, Darren. That's why you hashtag right there. That's a perfect reason why you should hashtag, like, save Sasquatch. You could just favorite the tweet as well. Oh, you know what? You know how I could get it? Is I could just go to that tweet. And then I could... uh... Oh, because you tweeted it yourself. Oh, yeah, Go to the replies. To yeah. Keep talking. So keep talking. So, um, so he, he they shot Sasquatch and he wasn't phased. Yeah, like apparently it didn't do anything. Like so, so was it more of a? It was just such a an awesome beast, just so like powerful that like bullets didn't affect him or exactly do you think it was something more more paranormal paranormal? oh that's a good question i my take from it which is only from a couple tweets is that uh (laughs) is that uh it sounded like he was just that strong and that big that like you know shooting it in the chest wouldn't really make it fucking through his hairy thick hide you know Uh, that kind of thing Or, or like maybe it wounded him but it didn't it didn't drop him that kind of thing well, you know, you know, being strong and powerful and paranormal, they don't need necessarily to be, you know, mutually exclusive. They could be both. I mean, maybe it was just really strong paranormal being. Exactly. And, you know, 
the the woo woo so, factor helped out, just like deflected the bullet. Exactly. It was Mark and Frank Epperson. Oh, those names don't ring a bell, but that's I good. That's that. good. Yeah, he shot it from three feet away in 1981. It had a full-grown Doberman Pinscher under its left arm. Three feet away, that is extremely close. And yeah, I mean, I'd be curious to find out what the big guy did after he shot him at point-blank range. He barely flinched. Well, did he come Two out shots there? to the chest with a Smith & Wesson 9mm. shots. Wilder. Two two shots. Two, two shots. shots. Wow. Uh, yeah, I would, I would like to hear that interview. Yeah. Yeah, you can help us because you're the... I'll grill them. You're the Sasquatch. Good. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> speaking, of, <laughs> speaking of that kind of interview, did you ever hear that uh, Banal of America episode with Adam Davies and John Carlson who were out Bigfoot hunting? I did not know, huh? Okay. I don't want to get into it now because I want to talk about it with uh, Red Pill Junkie, but... You you should probably listen to it because it would be fun to have you both on and talk about it. Yeah, sure. Um, you want to send me a link to it? Or... Yeah. What are you doing? Jesus uh, Christ! Uh, let's go to a clip. Now Darren's playing around with Spreaker. That's what I thought he was doing. Keep talking. So for all the listeners on Spreaker right now, this is way more casual than it normally is. We're just testing things out. So did I they? I love being part of the process. So did they talk about the uh, that Ontario uh, sort of episode uh, with Sasquatch and all the sound recordings and all that? Um, there were um, for it was the last day of the of the summit. Uh, there was a couple people that were talking about the, the sounds and howls. Um, most notably, Ron Moorhead, um, who recorded the Sierra sounds. Uh, way back, I want to say seventies, seventies, early eighties. Yeah, uh, he was there, and he played a lot of his recordings. Um, that cool. Uh, he, you know, Sierra. There, we talked about on the on the Bigfoot show the Sierra sounds or samurai chatter, uh, the language ish, like it's the Bigfoot language. Do you recall that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, right after. Um, Mr. Moorhead, uh, Scott Nelson, who is a crypto linguist who says he's, um, deciphered a language in the samurai chat of the Sierra sounds and whatnot was on talking, um, right after him, which was cool, you know, having them back to back, not so much that he, you know, um, Bought into transcribe, the- yeah, yeah. like, you know, here's their alphabet. This is what this means. This is this word. Ooh, ooh means, uh, you know, lots of food. Uh, it was, it's more of a, this sounds more like a question. Um, the indentation here on the end of this noise would suggest this. And like, he sees the language, you know, in, in these recordings. And it, it was just really interesting because I've seen them on TV before, both of them, but you know, to see it live in a, you know, a detailed presentation, you know, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. It's, it is much better. Keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, a couple of the presentations you really liked. Uh, one of the one of the guys we might have him on the show here. Want to give yeah, us a little uh, summary a summary of that? Oh uh, yeah, Tom Powell. I would have to say, probably hands down, most interesting presentation of the entire weekend. Uh, kept me interested 
the entire time. And he started out as a more um, flesh and blood, as he would put it, a flesh and blood type researcher, believing that Sasquatch is just an undiscovered primate or creature that lives in the wilds of America and throughout the world. And the more and more he got into his research and finding more and more of the lack of all these questions that he had, or not lack of questions, lack of answers for these questions, uh, and more and more data to suggest something more than a biological earthly entity, more paranormal, interdimensional, whatever, you know, something else that could help explain why we have such lack of data or evidence for Sasquatch as an earthly being. And, you know, he got really into it and uh, he was nice about it, as he put it. He's like, I'm not going to shove it in your face. This is just what I found. This is what I think. And uh, a lot of the stories he told, um, I had heard recently on Mysterious Universe. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've listened to the last few episodes, but they've been talking about Bigfoot and Luani Lapsaritis and some of his research. Right. Well, Tom Powell, I'm not sure if he was with them during those investigations because a lot of the stories that he told were the same stories that Luani uh, Lapsaritis was, that well, Ben and Aaron were talking about on Mysterious Universe from Luani Lapsaritis' book, I believe. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, a few of them, uh, psychic encounters with Sasquatch. Uh, they he talked about. Um, I don't remember if you guys remember. Uh, and then we're talking about someone, a Bigfoot researcher, who found a grave, piles of rocks, and uh, they started to remove these piles of rocks uh, to try to find the body. And I don't remember if they did or not. But later that night at home, they woke up in the middle of the night and like standing over them was the ghost of a Sasquatch. Wow. And so, yeah, like the next day they went back and they put all the rocks back, you know, just the way they found it. Yeah. And, uh, smart, you don't want to mess with that. Yeah. Smart thinking. But yeah, a lot of them. And, uh, Tom Powell did, uh, speak of wanting laps readers a few times, but I didn't, I didn't catch the reference if they were together or if he was just reading his research or if, if it was collaborated, I'm not positive, but, that's just something we can get into. I bought his book, um, Edges of Science. Cool. And uh, yeah, there's, I, I briefly skimmed it because I ended up, I tweeted out, you guys saw the, the pictures of uh, my new cast collection. I bought a couple cast tracks. And uh, one of them is one that he cast himself from um, down in Oregon. And in his book, he documents that that whole process and discovery of them. So all this is in this book and then yeah, I can't wait to get through it because it's really interesting. What is a good Bigfoot cast run these days? <laughs> um, I got lucky. Okay. Well, okay. Now one of them, it, it looks suspicious because it was just too perfect. Okay. But I bought it because it just looked too perfect. You know, like not so much, yeah, as a collector's item, it's not, a, not yeah, as evidence, but not as evidence, right. but as like a quiche. Key, do they, what do they call it? Cash? No, quiche. Niche? No. Niche? No, forget it. The cachet? No, forget I'll it. I'll just make up words. 
Well, okay, so you had three on display. A cache. And, um, on display. Okay, yeah, that's I said cache. <laughs> we'll figure this out, Grandma Fair, don't worry. Anyway, so you had three on display. One foot that was from the London tracks. Another one that was cast by a sheriff in 82 in the Grace Harbor area. And he had a knuckle print. And he, uh, it was um, one for 20, two for 30. And uh, the guy was... The guy he was selling with was like, oh, you know, what do you think? I was like, I just can't decide which one I want. Like, how about I just give you all three for 30? So I got wow. all three for 30. So that's not bad at all. Sweet. You know what? Whether they're real or not, and you know, I'm going to read a little bit more into it. But the London track looks a little bit more convincing to me. But regardless, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not wasting my money. I'm like, it's a collector's thing to me. So Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a, a souvenir. Yeah. And you know what? It was a good price, too. I'm happy with it. You can, I remember that time I went to that Sasquatch. That was when they, they didn't believe in him. Yeah, that's when they didn't believe in Sasquatch. <laughs> 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 fucking kids. <laughs> now look at him. Now we know he's, he's real because someone shot him in the chest. Brought now, his now body we, in. Now we have one for president. Look at that. Times have changed. So what does a guy, what does a guy like Tom Powell think? Well, I mean, we'll talk to him when we get him on a show, but what does he think it's going to take for evidence then? Or did, does he talk about that? Um, like if I he, think, cause if he believes there's this paranormal nature to him as well, like maybe is he a shooter. Do you think it. he's a shooter? Um, I, <laughs> I think if, he, I think in a couple of his outings, he did say that he was armed. Yeah. I'm, I'm, they're kind of blurring together, so I might be wrong about that. Um, he did not touch on the kill or no kill aspect at all, but I think uh, because of his leaning toward Sasquatch being more of um, maybe interdimensional or paranormal entity of some sort, that you can't kill one. But are you willing to try? We'll have to ask him. Fuck yeah. <laughs> right off the bat right off the bat so Speaking, before we go any further kill or no kill Tom tell me what yeah, you yeah and I'll just set the tone for the whole episode Speaking of that I got a little uh a little synchro from Justin if uh if you synchro. want to know if Justin even remembers sending this to me I guess we'll find out and we'll find out. I want a good skull from a synchronicity If Graham reads it out, then Darren might give it to me Hey, don't you please read it low, yeah, yeah This is is what I call like a little mini one It happens to me quite a bit here Darren's shaking his head I'm not shaking my head yet So I'm listening to the last So this is just a text from Justin So I'm listening to the last episode for the UFO quote And heard you talking about the others report And decided to check it out As soon as you said, Killer Yeti I was reading those words. Then, while typing this text, while I'm typing the words UFO quote, you say UFO quote. Not huge synchros, but enough for me to want to tell you. <laughs> and then... I do remember that. Yeah, that was, I like those. I love those little ones. Yeah. <clears throat> and now, now we have... Don't we have a better one? We should talk about that other one you, you mentioned to us, too. Yeah, you want you want another jingle there, Darren, or do you just want me to? Yeah, first I'll give that a three. <laughs> <laughs> three. 
Three out of five. Uh, <laughs> I'm a rambling grand with synchronous Three out of four. All over the web. And Aaron is skeptical about everyone. And don't believe it yet. All right, buddy. Here it comes. So, on the book that I was just talking about, um, Edges of Science, on the back of the book, there is a picture uh, of silhouettes of Sasquatch, two of them that are herding elk. Um, like a real photo? No, they're, oh. they're sketches. Oh. They're herding elk. Across. Like they're sketchy? Like <laughs> sketching no. out? No, they're drawings. <laughs> they're illustrations. Okay. They're, they're pushing elk across the river. And um, it reminded me of a song that I listen to quite frequently by a local artist from here in Wenatchee called Paul Graves, who, again, was supposed to speak at the summit, but some personal things came up and he wasn't able to make it. The song's name is um, Jim Henry. And um, I saw the picture and he talked a little bit about um, Jim Henry and Paul Graves and his presentation. I saw the picture and I knew that that's what it was talking about because in the song it, it, it has a, a part about Sasquatch herding elk across the river, but I couldn't figure out what some of the words were. And I, I was wondering how I'd be able to find it out because Paul Graves isn't a huge, you know, musician and the songs on YouTube, but I doubt I could find it anywhere online. The lyrics, um, Right, right as I'm thinking that, I'm opening the book up and I'm looking at the part about the London tracks for the, the track I just bought. I turn the page back one page and there are the entire set of lyrics for the song that I'm looking for. Nice. Well, you must have glanced over them while you're flipping through the pages. No, 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 no. That's not, the end of, that's not the end of the synchroloid. There's another part that you told us about where... Now, the chapter on Jim Henry is called Bigfoot Magnets. Oh, and that's right. Is, is this the part you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Because I had just heard this, which is weird because, you know, I'm rather into Sasquatch. <laughs> the first time I hear this, this phrase, Bigfoot Magnets, was at the presentation and looking through this book. Um, well, I was at the presentation. The, the second time I heard it, was you, Graham? You said it right before I I turned to the pit, or uh, right before I looked at it. That is weird. And I said it when Darren was playing uh, his clip of his buddy there, who was yeah. Uh, that's when you say, "Oh, so yeah. he's like a Bigfoot magnet." I'm uh, like, "How does Graham know this? Know this <laughs> phrase that about Bigfoot? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you just made that up, but yeah, apparently that's a real thing. A Bigfoot magnet? Yeah. Yeah, I made it up. Because buddy Darren's buddy sound like a Bigfoot magnet. Anybody that's had like multiple encounters with Bigfoot while fishing and shit's gotta be a magnet. And see, Grandma, I actually think you said Sasquatch magnet. I did say Sasquatch. Maybe he wants to mate with them. I like to I like to try and use the original native term, not Bigfoot. Well, you know, fucking patronize me, Graham. Is an anglicized version of of a of a Salish word. Suscription. That's, That's pretty close. Native. We'll, we'll go with that. I believe it's a sesquit or sesquitch. Sesquitchin. It was a teacher, I believe, in British Columbia. I can't think of his name right now. 
for whatever reason, if it's just a misinterpretation or he was just like, ah, fuck it. Well, this is easier to say Sasquatch, but he popularized the term Sasquatch. Still not real easy to spell Sasquatch, obviously, but apparent unless you're from Saskatchewan, right, Graham? <laughs> That's right. They just spell it with a K. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. So, uh, oh, you. I'm just looking with a death look. So, actually, I have, uh, I have an interesting, this isn't the UFO quote of the week. This is my Sasquatch quote of the week. I figured it was appropriate. So, uh, the first one is... First one. Now I've got three. Three. <laughs> Mulder, explaining cryptozoology. <coughs> Animals that aren't supposed to exist, like Sasquatch and the Ogopogo and the Abominable Snowman. And Scully, interrupting, don't mind him, he'll go on forever. And that, of course, is from the X-Files. The next one is... You're talking about a Yeti or Bigfoot or Sasquatch? Well, now, you'll be amazed when I tell you that I'm sure that they exist. That was Jane Goodall on NPR. And the third one is, I saw Bigfoot once, 1951, back in Sequoia National Park. Had a foot on him, 37 inches, heel to toe. And that's from the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Huh. I don't recall a Sasquatch reference in Close Encounters. No, me neither, especially one with a 37-inch foot. Yeah, that's a pretty big foot. That's a Nephilim. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a theory that Sasquatch are descended from the Nephilim. Of course there is. Yeah, forced to the woods. Of course there is. That's right. Always got through the Bible in the mix, huh? Yeah. Uh, hmm. Hey, I wanted to give a shout-out to some of the or uh, Twitter Twitter peeps out there that keep pushing pushing and plugging for us and tweeting. I never got to rate Justin Synchro. I'm waiting for it. Well, there's there still that other part that I just remembered. Okay, let's let me let me say a shout out to to these guys and then we can get on with your the rest of your no synchro. no oh, finish okay. it first oh, right. and then I can ponder the result. Okay, all right. Well, looking on the chapter about the London Trackway. On the second page, as I'm just kind of briefly reading before our interview Saturday, halfway down the page, there's a definition for the word synchronicity. Synchronicity. That's pretty cool in a Sasquatch book. Yeah. yeah. What's is. the definition? Um, of course, you would ask me right now, <laughs> but it is. I'm having definition the coincidental occurrence of events that seems related but are not explained by conventional mechanisms of causality. Boom, blew your mind. Of casualty, yeah, <laughs> of deja vu, yeah, because we did read we do that this one. on the air already. <laughs> no, yeah, we yeah. on the show, on the okay, oh, no, we didn't. That, no, we talked about oh, this. Right. Uh, I was gonna say because that's bad radio. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you need to slow down a little bit there on that on that smoke, Darren. <laughs> or speed up, whichever works, I guess. Six of one, half a dozen of another. Um, okay. Now you can do your shout out. 
while I ponder Justin's fate. All right. So, yeah, just shout out to our Twitter peeps here. There's Fringe Media, Adam Loyal, Kevin Stevens, David Thong, Evan Forsh, and Graham's Ga- Graham's Gainsford, Graham Gainsford, just to name a few. Just the people that help us out on Twitter there. Thank you very much. Darren, pondering? Uh, the anticipation is killing me. So first, <laughs> it was the spelling. No, first it was the word lyrics. So that in There's itself, the the song. Yeah. I think you glanced over it that yourself. But I'm gonna that, add, I guarantee I didn't. I'm gonna add some extra points. I'm gonna give you a eight point two. Wow, that's good. Wow, that's impressive. What if I told you oh. that I looked through the table of contents, saw the chapter on the London Trackway, and opened directly to it? Without glancing at any other pages, I'd say I you're over, crazy. I overshot it and had a back backup. You know what? Never mind. I'll take the eight point two. <laughs> you just <laughs> down to a seven point seven. Yeah. Nice one. There you go, Justin. Put it on your yeah. wall. I want to frame that bad boy. So speaking of conferences and stuff, um, we we should we're we're trying to figure out which one we should go to next year if if we can manage that. Efrain was emailing and and Red Pill Junkie was talking about maybe paranoia. Is that a, is that the conference? Paranoia. That doesn't sound like a very fun oh, no, conference. No, right. <laughs> How terrible is that? Paramania. <laughs> Paramania. I think is one, but I don't know. That's the one that um, Red was talking about. With uh, who was it, Greg Bishop and somebody else putting it on? Maybe am I out of line saying that? <coughs> I can't find any evidence of it online here. Let's anyway. find something in Denver. Oh, you want to go to Denver, eh? Yeah. And then this uh, Sasquatch summit's in November, so we should try and hit one in the spring or summer, maybe. Well, um, I was telling you that they're going to have that UFO paranormal conference uh, <laughs> in the same place uh, sometime this spring or summer. Okay, we'll have to keep an eye on that because it would be fun to go to the coast for a couple days. Yeah, they're going to have people from... um, Where's that? Uh, Washington. Ocean Shores, Washington. I've been to Ocean City before. I used to camp there. That'd probably be all right, too. Washington. Yeah. I'm down for that. As long as it's hot, as long as it's like nice enough. I'd really rather Denver, though. Okay, well, we'll keep an eye on that. If anybody, if anybody know, and listening out there knows of any cool conferences uh, in Denver, spring or summer, let us know. Yeah. And I might, I might, I'm going to probably go and bump into Randall if he, when he's in Washington, Randall and Brad. If they're in Washington in the spring, I think. Spring. Maybe drive down for a long weekend and meet Justin. Yeah, that'd be Sounds cool. Sounds like fun. Right on. So is there anything else, Darren? Uh, T-shirts and stuff like that? Support the show. Speaking of shoot or don't shoot, shooters and savers. Yep. Speaking of shooters and savers, we've got both T-shirts in stock right now for a limited time. Uh, Get them like they're hot because they don't seem to last long and it seems to take us a long time to reorder. (laughs) 
Um, so North America, $25 or more. Uh, anywhere else, $30 or more. Uh, of course, more always helps. And this isn't like overnight shipping or anything. It's like shipping once a week, and it takes a week or two to get to you. So Yeah, exactly. So probably... Uh, Christmas is probably already out of the question. No, no, no. no <laughs> but, we, I can no. get them out in a week. If you, yeah, if you get them out quick, we'll push a, push some out for Christmas. But yeah, order shirts that helps. Um, our monthly subscribers are what help us pay the bills, keep the heat on. Uh, we got snowed in today, so winter's officially hit the igloo. Darren's been looking for a toilet on Kijiji. Yeah, We're looking for a, what do you call it? A, a urinal. A urinal. It's a, a urinal. So we can piss in the garage. Without going out in the snow. <laughs> yeah. So. Tonight will be a test. It's going to be minus 20 um, outside the igloo. So. Yeah, that's true. It's not too bad right now, though. Not too bad. I wouldn't want to live out here. Thankfully, we don't have to. One day we will. If we tried to podcast for a living, we wouldn't be living in here. So anyway, check out gramerica.ca slash support. A ton of different options there. Sign up for the newsletter, gramerica.ca slash news. Justin's blog. How can you find that, Justin? Uh, I believe it's gramerica. Slash. Slash. FM, I think, right? Gramerica.ca forward slash category. Forward slash FM. Yeah, there's categories. Huh. So anyway, don't, don't can... just read my blogs. There are a lot of good bloggers on there. Um, and you know, if, if anyone feels like they have something interesting to say, get a hold of Darren. Uh, you know, I mean, we we love to hear people's stories. That's true. And you do true the that. newsletter for us too, so people can sign up on the newsletter. And thank you so much for doing that, Justin. Yeah, not a problem. Anything I can do to help you guys get out some content. Yeah, and of course, tell people about the show. That's what helps most of all. Um, yeah, let's fucking tell everyone about the show. <laughs> and enjoy our chat with Greg Hickey. Greg Hickey, coming up next. Okay, guys, in Grimerica tonight, we are going to be uh, chatting about all sorts of dystopian things and fun stuff with our guest, Greg Hickey. Uh, but first, how's it going, hey. Society Graham? Yeah, I'm doing good, buddy. Yeah, we've got Greg here. He's a forensic scientist, an endurance athlete, which, which I'm anxious to ask him about. And he's an author and screenwriter. And his debut novel, Our Dried Voices, was a finalist for the... Uh, forward reviews indie fab science fiction book of the year 
He's also uh, writing screenplays. One of them is called Vita and his blog, Kinosofi. So uh, lots of stuff to uh, talk about here. His uh, his Hard Drive Voices book is kind of a, a futuristic dystopian novel, which I'm sure kind of fits into uh, some of our themes and the stuff we talk about here. So thanks for uh, joining us, Greg. Welcome to Grand America. No, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's nice to, to have you on. I, I, I We were emailing back and forth, and I was mentioning how I kind of go through fiction phases every once in a while, and I like uh, I like certain sci-fi books. So, what got you uh, what got you interested in about writing about uh, <clears throat> this type of dystopian futuristic novel? Um, well, in particular, I remember reading H.G. Uh, Wells' The Time Machine, and I don't know if you've read it, but essentially he describes a world and the future in which humanity diverges into two species, and one of these species is called. Uh, I think it's the Eloi. It's one of those things you don't know how you're pronouncing it when it's written in a book. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> then you, you um, hear somebody say it on an audiobook and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> Right. So, anyways, the Eloi are this very naive, sort of blissfully ignorant um, humanish species that um, kind of roam around all day and, you know, don't really have to think about anything. And, and I was kind of thinking, well, you know how does how does humanity end up like that? It's, you start thinking about the sort of technology that we're creating and human progress throughout the years, and there's always this goal of trying to make things easier for people, try to make people more comfortable. And so my thought was, well, what if we actually accomplished that? What if we were able to make everything so easy and make people so comfortable that they didn't have to? worry about anything and whether they didn't have to worry about getting sick or they didn't have to worry about where their next meal was going to come from. Um, they didn't worry, have to worry about, you know, take, basically taking care of, care of themselves and thinking for themselves. Um, and so that, that was the genesis of my novel, Our Dried Voices. Oh, I see. It reminds me of Wally. Have you ever seen that one? I have not. Someone, someone mentioned that to me too, and I'll have to check that movie out. Yeah. It's like this futuristic and the cartoon people are all, roaming around this like space station and, and there's just these lounge chairs and they're all fat and totally out of shape and, <laughs> and their life had become so easy. They're just totally lazy and screens. Yeah. It's, it's ultimate couch potato kind of fantasy. So is that what you think that we're, there's a chance that we're headed for? Um, I'm kind of split on that. And, you know, part of me is an optimist and thinks, you know, humans are really smart. And if, if we were to kind of go down that path where we were able to, you know, have artificial intelligence that takes care of a lot of our jobs and day-to-day sort of menial tasks that we would hopefully allow our creative faculties to take over and start, you know, pursuing other things besides our nine-to-five jobs and, and that sort of thing. Um, and then part of me thinks that there are some people out there who would be more than content to sit on the couch and, have all their food delivered and watch reality TV all day. So, <laughs> yeah. Can I like switch back and forth? <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's certainly an option. I think all of us, you know, there are times where we do want to kind of tune out for a couple hours and, you know, watch some TV, watch an action movie and not have to really, you know, be switched on and thinking, you know, at our, at our full capacity for a little bit of time. But, so, but I think there's also um, you're missing out on a big part of the human experience if that's your whole life. 
Yeah, true that. So what what about um you know, obviously in your book you I noticed your timeline has a couple, you know, world wars in there, that type of thing. Like do you, I, I, I flip back and forth as well, like like you. Like sometimes I'm optimistic. Like when we're doing this show and we're talking to all these people about kind of like, you know, a better conscious awareness of what's going on and and this really uh I don't know, kind of counterculture of of people that are sort of healthy minded and that kind of thing. And then, but then you realize how many, you know, wars are still going on and all that. Did you have to, how did you reconcile like, you know, when you would input these wars into your novel, let's say, or, or do you have a view that the military industrial complex is, is non-stoppable? Um, well, I think as far as the chronology, the general idea there was to really draw out this paradox of, you know, there's, there's this part of humanity that is incredibly intelligent and is challenged by the various problems that we face throughout our existence as a, as a species. You know, diseases and famines and um, poverty and conflict. And for the most part, we've been able to get by and we've been obviously made incredible progress in terms of technology and in terms of taking care of ourselves. Um, and so there's this you know, sort of divergent threads where on one hand I see is continuing and humans really ex- exercising all of their intellectual capacities. Um, and then the chronology and actually what was what now appears at the end of the novel was kind of the original that um, then leading to this thing, this scenario, which is completely the opposite where humans don't think at all. So the idea was to really set up that introduction part in very stark contrast to the rest of the novel uh, in terms of the language that was being used and then obviously the intellectual content that was being presented. So that's kind of the broad overview. Um, yeah, as far as the wars, I mean, uh, it seems like um, especially this Middle East religious conflict is something that's been going on almost as long as humans have been around and um, even today, there doesn't seem to be any sign of it getting any better. And if anything, it seems to be getting even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether that would actually culminate in a, an entire world war, I'm not so sure. Um, it doesn't seem like that specific conflict is ever going to come to a close. Yeah, I agree. Give us an overview of the book without giving too much of it away then. Like what... Uh... Sure. So, um, like we were saying, there's this chronology that sets up the being. So humans, uh, as a race, basically cure all their diseases, and they um, pretty much eradicate world hunger and their wars that arise from religious conflict and from overpopulation. Um, global warming continues, but humans sort of get a handle on that until they realize it's probably too little too late. Um, so they build up their space exploration program and eventually discover a uh, habitable planet where they establish colony and the book then picks up after the chronology several hundred years afterward where humans have really established this this, uh, colony on another planet Um, and they've set it up so that there are machines that take care of them and and feed them and clean the colony and the humans that live there are basically these just you know pretty much ignorant speechless creatures that kind of wander around this meadow all day and play and have sex and eat when they're called to the meal halls. And that's about it. That's their existence. Fuck. Sounds great. 
yeah, so everything is going swimmingly until uh, all these machines start breaking down, and all of a sudden they're not, no one's, nothing's feeding them, and they don't know where to get food, and um, so they have to kind of relearn how to take care of themselves all over again. Are they under the political structure of Earth still? I heard somebody talking about who was it, Darren, that was talking earlier about um, if if people had to go to like Mars or we were able to do that. Would you be able to separate yourself politically from Earth, that type of thing? Did they have their own like system? No, In this case, cattle. no. Cattle don't have systems. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty much what they are. So um, the way I imagine it is that they send out these ships, you know, start building up the colony, and one of the the biggest ship that's actually taking a large number of colonists there loses communication with Earth. So they're basically just cut off and. Neither side knows what's going on, and you know, the people who land on the other planet assume that Earth has been consumed by either war or um, uh, climate catastrophes or something like that. And people on Earth, if they still exist, assume that the spaceship has, you know, exploded in the middle of space or something. Hmm. So no one. So in any case, Earth quickly fades from the picture, and everything else is set up on this this new planet. Um, although. Yes, at that point, I kind of leave Earth behind and everything is in this place. And I didn't want to make it too sci-fi where um, the setting is completely unapproachable and there's no uh, nothing familiar that would remind us of, remind, you know, present-day readers of Earth. Uh, so at that point, there's not a whole lot about, you know, interspace travel and who's governing and that sort of thing. Right, right. Do you have any sci-fi authors that inspired you at all? Um, well, definitely H.G. Wells. And then as far as sort of the dystopian angle, um, it, I really enjoy reading uh, Lois Lowry's The Giver. Um, and then some of the you know dystopian classics like 1984, um, Brave New World, that sort of thing. Hmm. 1984 is probably a good one. That's like the guidebook to, uh, guidebook to America. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that, so what do you think? So you you live in the in the uh, in the middle, uh, in like around Chicago or something like that, or yes, uh, yeah, I live in Chicago. <clears throat> what do you think about? Um, <laughs> because I I go back and forth with this as well. Like when I listen to sort of what's going on, I guess politically maybe, and like the way the the mainstream media has all this you know propaganda to it, and really not knowing what to believe, whether it's about science or the media or politics or whatever like i feel like sometimes i feel like we are almost in a dystopian novel already what do you think about uh, that yeah in some respects i think i'm if you read a lot of fiction now it's almost bordering on fiction already even though it's you know the novels are talking about maybe not even that far distant future i'm thinking of um what was I read? Right now, I'm reading uh, Jonathan Franzen's *The Corrections*, and it's you know basically set in present time, but it's talking about um, you know a lot of technology that is not too far off. Um, a lot of stuff about uh, medications to deal with depression and um, altering mood and altering personalities, um, you know, and whether that's the right thing to do. And that's so that's you know a lot of our dystopian present i guess yeah. is how 
you know, we deal with. You, you know, in a, in a way, we're kind of there already, really. Like, what right. happens if the fucking power goes out tomorrow? You know, or if, <laughs> like if, or if we get like a current, even if event. the internet stops working tomorrow, oh yeah, there's some major fucking haltage <laughs> to society. We just experienced it tonight. Your money's it was like, gone. I was like, I was yeah, in here. I, there's no internet. And I was like, okay, now what do I do? Do I email? Oh, I can't email. Do I, you know, and then check my phone? Oh, I've got internet on my phone. Okay, what do we do? Like you go through this whole thing, and it's really we're really becoming reliant on it. Well, you're already reliant on the internet. If the internet goes out, then you can't really. Do anything. You can't get money. You can't spend money. You well, can't. you can get money from the banks. <clears throat> no, not if there's no internet. The bank's not going to know how much fucking money you have. Oh, I see what you mean. That, yeah, at that level, yeah. And then yeah. you can't use your debit card at the store because they have no way of verifying if you have money. So basically, whatever cash you have left in your pocket is going to, once that runs out, then you're done. Mm. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, or even something as simple as, you know, you traveling you're going to a new city and it's perfectly easy to pull up a, a map on your phone and it can give you turn by turn directions and you know like, what if your phone dies you, you know you've forgotten how to use a paper map and something like that it's this, this whole sort of automation paradox where you know we rely so much on computers machines that sort of thing that we don't know how to take care of ourselves when they don't work anymore you know if, if the autopilot on the airplane fails, do the pilots actually know how to solve a problem with the plane? Yeah. So you seem like you're approximately our age, or maybe between us, or something. So what do you? So you've grown up with you know we don't, the internet not our over age. the. <laughs> well, we're pretty close. We're like eleven years apart, or whatever. It's a generation. Yeah. So I'm 44, and Darren's 34. Four. No, I'm 45. Darren's. 34 so <laughs> you're, okay. you're around there right somewhere yeah, I'll, be th- I'll be 30 next week oh 30 you're oh, just okay. a kid you're just a pup <laughs> <laughs> but uh obviously so you've you've you know been immersed in the internet more so than than me for sure then i mean i was like out of you know when when everything and you're a forensic like scientist already? already so yeah so i am a forensic scientist Jeez. Let's get into that later. Yeah, I want to okay. stick with the internet for a sec. So, so what do you think of the internet then? I mean, because again, I flip back and forth on that as well. I see like total positive stuff, but when you see all the negative potential as well. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to come off as a complete technophobe because I think there obviously are a lot of benefits tech, to technology. I mean, I think the internet is a wonderful tool for you know, what you want to use it for. If it's, you know, getting information about the world, um, being able to access whatever news sources you want instantaneously. Um, and, of course, it's it's a tool like anything else. So, you know, you can use tools for for positive purposes or for negative purposes. Um, I think it's just important, like any other tool, to know uh, how to use it and then how to use other tools when they're more appropriate or when one tool doesn't work in a certain situation. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's amazing what, what's happening right now. Like just us being able to do this and, and put it out there for, yeah, whoever, exactly. for her, whoever wants to listen to us. And there's no, you know, we don't have to, to follow any rules really. We can just 
you know, say what we want to say and really not worry about, I mean, obviously if we're, if we're assholes, I mean, we're going to get some sort of repercussion, but I mean. Well, no one will listen. It's the ultimate yeah, fucking. Yeah, that's true. It's the ultimate. Uh, Free market kind of thing. Yeah. So let's get into your, your forensic science then. How, so you've, you've been a forensic scientist. That must have been quite the uh, education. Yeah, so um, it was less extensive, I guess, than you might think. And I don't, don't want yeah, to downplay the yeah, yeah. like that. But, <laughs> yeah. um, so I was, a, I was a philosophy major in college because mm. I liked philosophy and I didn't really enjoy the more general science classes right. that were available. And so that's one thing I was like about forensic science is that it's a very, very concrete, real-world application for science. And, yeah. Um, when you're studying science at university, that's usually not the case. Um, but I had it in mind that I, I was going to take enough science courses um, to, to uh, get myself into a graduate program um, if that was what I chose and it ended up being the case. So I went through a one-year graduate program in forensic science um, and then was hired by um, the Illinois State Police um, they have a lab in Chicago, so I did a two-year training program with the Illinois State Police, and then um, started working working cases for them. Oh wow! Nice. So you're a cop. So no, I'm not. I'm not a police officer. <laughs> um, I work for the Illinois State Police, but I don't have a badge. I don't carry a gun. I work in a laboratory. Um, I pretty much very, very rarely interact with police officers, other than. Um, occasionally calling a detective to give them the results of, of my work. So you're literally like CSI, I guess yeah. would be the closest description. Yeah, um, much less glamorous. And <laughs> Do you have a gun? No. Oh. Well, I t- take that back. I don't own a gun, but I, I work in the firearms section of our lab, so I handle guns as, as part of my job. Um, but I'm not carrying one around. and We don't leave the lab. We don't go to crime scenes. Um, and our cases aren't wrapped up in 45 minutes. So, so do you have interest in some of the stuff we talk about? Like, and do you, would you, if you did have interest, let's say in like uh, fringe science or, or, you know, paranormal topics or UFOs or whatever, I guess you would be able to use your, or probably automatically use your fringe, I mean, your uh, forensic science background i mean what was your belief system like before you did that and did it change at all through the education um i, I don't know that my beliefs changed a lot during education i think um it was i think the biggest shock for me was that i ended up working with guns which when i had no one in my family was a hunter or um owned a gun even growing up. So I think everyone was kind of surprised when that ended up being my eventual <laughs> career field. Right. Um, so, but I don't think there was a huge sort of personal philosophy shift as far as getting into that field. I've, um, the reason I like it is just compared to a lot of the other forensics fields, there seems to be a little bit more you can do with each case. It's every case is a little bit different and there's um, a lot of aspects to each case. So I think it makes it more interesting than some of the other fields. Give us a sense of what you would like f- have to figure out. Like, would you a- have to analyze take like, us the ballistics case? and all that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the basic premise is um, 
we want to determine if a particular bullet or a particular cartridge case was fired from a certain gun. So let's say there's a homicide. Um, a suspect kills a victim. The police recover, let's say, a bullet from the victim's body, and they recover a gun from the suspect, and they would ask us, okay, did, was this bullet fired from this gun? Um, and the way we do that is we're looking at the microscopic patterns made by the gun on a particular bullet. And because of the way guns are machined, um, the processes that make the marks inside the barrel of a gun um, are, are pretty random. Um, so the, yeah, like so a fingerprint in a way? Or? Right. So, yeah, that's a good analogy. So because these processes, the machine are so random, um, the marks inside a barrel are, for all intents and purposes, unique. And so we have a gun and we want to know if a bullet came from the gun. We're going to take the gun and I would, uh, take, uh, ammunition from our laboratory, fire it through the gun. So I have my own standard of what a bullet would look like from that gun and then put it up on a microscope and compare it to the bullet from the victim's body and look at the microscopic patterns to try to determine if these two bullets were fired from the same gun. Oh wow! So you're not you're not have, you're not really comparing the first bullet from the gun. You're shooting another bullet, and then and then those will actually match because they were fired from the same gun. Right. Wow. Yeah. So, we're, so we wouldn't compare a bullet directly to a gun. Um, we yeah. need to kind of compare like objects. So we need to fire another bullet. So yeah, even so if, like cop guns and stuff, like the cops' guns. I suppose you take a record of those right away. So like like an officer's gun in the field, you would already have a record of its uh, pattern. No, um, I think just because of, that might that would probably be a, a sort of logistical problem in terms of getting all those guns sent in and test firing them and having a database. Um, we have a database, a computerized database. Actually, it's a, a national thing, um, even international, um, that categorizes cartridge cases. Um, so we can do quick searches of cartridge cases. Uh, via computer um, our particular lab doesn't do that for bullets and it's because of the size of Chicago it's sort of a tedious thing to do to do a large scale search like that um, without a computer so we wouldn't do it um, do like an unsolved case style search for, for bullets see it's it's amazing to me that like so if you took two guns that were manufactured at the same place they're still manufactured that much differently in the machining yeah. process that and, you can tell fact, like yeah in fact there have been studies that where they've taken barrels that were consecutively manufactured so uh -huh. one barrel's manufactured the same tool goes on manufactures the second barrel and even up to i think 10 barrels or even more and you can tell the difference between bullets fired from each of those barrels wow do you guys have to allow for any sort of like random number coincidence or something like that? Like, what is the random number theory that, you know, even in a random number situation, every once in a while, you know, you'll get three of the same numbers in a row or things like right, that. Right. Yes. And so that's, that's the patterns still emerge. That's the argument, you know, isn't it possible that even with all this randomness that two barrels could be the same? And so it's sort of, it's, you know, conceivably possible, but within a, a sense of practical possibility, no, not really. Um, just because of the way barrels are machined, you know, to briefly delve, um, delve into sort of the technical process here, um, 
you have a steel tube, steel bar that's drilled out. So you have now have a steel cylinder. Um, you have a tool that call a reamer that will come in, and it's a spinning tool that travels down the length of the barrel, so in and out, and polishes up the surface of the barrel. So the spinning tool, um, as it travels down the barrel, is basically taking off microscopic pieces of the barrel, the whole length, in and out, and spinning at the same time. So you can imagine that any of those microscopic marks there are going to be pretty random, and there are going to be a lot of them. Right. So the, the chances that two barrels are going to be exactly alike is, you know, infinitesimal wow. in terms of that randomness. So, so you, you being in the, in sort of like the, in the background of all this police work, um, especially lately with, with all this, this, uh, media about cops and all this kind of stuff, um, do you do you hear a lot of grumblings about that, or is there is there uh, do you think that it's 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 escalating to some to some point? We don't necessarily hear grumblings about it in our lab, and, and really in Chicago, I and mean, not to say that you know there isn't uh, uh, black and white um, tension, but yeah, yeah. this is this racial tension, but we haven't had a a big incident like there have been in some other cities. Right. Um, because we don't interact with police officers that much, we don't get a lot of, of the, um, of the rumor mill or whatever. Yeah. Day to day, day stuff that they're dealing with. So, does, it, yeah, go ahead. Do, well, does it, does it bother you then that, um, cause what, what bothers me is that like they'll, they'll focus on one incident, let's say, right. Let's say, you know, a cop shoots this guy or whatever. They focus on that or they focus on, you know, some other murder that happens. And yet it's happening all over the country, you know, you know, over and over and over again. But the ones they choose to focus on seem to create more racial tension or more distraction in the media. Like, does that because you must see a lot of the stuff come through. And then, you know, if you go home at night and watch the news, and you're like, well, what the fuck are they talking about this case? You know? Yeah. And so I think. While the while those big name cases are certainly important and from a I guess larger political scale, most of the stuff we see is from gang crime, and I think that's much more prevalent in a city like Chicago. Um, and it it gets some news, but I think the the unfortunate thing is that you know it's while it's good that there's attention being paid to a police officer killing a young black male. Um, in one city, there's not a lot of attention paid to all these lives that are lost every day, you know, and especially poor young black males in the inner city, like in a place like Chicago. Um, you know, they get, you'll get, we get headlines in the paper, and I even headlines, little, you know, back page titles in the, in the, our, in the Chicago Tribune saying, you know, 15 people shot this weekend. And it's kind of, it's, it's almost wow. numbing, like, uh, after a yeah, period of time, she, you, you just get used to seeing that in the summer. I think Chicago is one of the worst ones in America, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but it was one of the worst for homicides. Well, it's such you a guys big like city. It's a, huge, that it's a stuff? huge city, isn't it? I mean. Yeah. Right? It's, it's yeah a big is that city. like a flex thing, like a toughness thing? Uh, you know, cities take pride I, in weird things. 
Yeah, I certainly don't. I don't, I don't think it's a badge of honor for us. Yeah, like almost 3 million people in, in Chicago itself. Wow. Yeah. That's like three Calgary's. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big city. I heard it's beautiful though. That's what's on my it's on my list of cities to visit for sure. So what's your oh, take? Oh yeah, I think it is a great city. Um, it, it's a lot, like a lot of big cities. There are um, areas that are more prone to crime than others, but I think overall it's a great city. Yeah. So working so closely with guns and things like that, like what's your take on? Uh, on firearms and stuff like that, like, like uh, when gun you control, when or? you can take, yeah, like, I, I don't, uh, yeah, I suppose gun control. I don't know if I want to get to that, but it's just like when you can take a city of that size in Canada and compare it to a city of that size in the states. I mean, there's no denying that the results are pretty, um, pretty staggering. Yeah, um, and I, I don't know. I'm kind of split on the whole gun control thing. Part of me is hangs on to that. Uh, American spirit of, you know, government shouldn't be telling us what to do. And then the other part of me is like, you know, if, if no one had a gun, that might be that was what they wanted. So, well, especially in a political time like now, it's like, um, you know, it doesn't seem inconceivable that, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 years down the road that, um, you know, you could be on the brinks of revolutions in some of these. Like, it almost seems like it, you know what I mean? Like, the way that the, I guess the, just, I don't know, it's weird in the last five years, the way that the animosity just seems to be ramping up, whether it's black versus white or this versus that, or you know what I mean? It just seems like people are starting, something's going to give. Yeah, I remember even just the last few presidential elections that we've had, uh, you know, even I didn't obviously vote when I was younger, but I don't remember those elections being so contentious and being so vitriolic on both sides where, you know, it seemed like both sides were really angry at the other side. It was shocking to me that was, that got that heated. Do you mean the ramp up to the election? Like, yeah. And yeah. And yeah. yeah. So sort of the debates and yeah. mudslinging on either side leading up to elections. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember following the the first Obama one quite a bit. For some reason, I was right into it then, and then and then I just and then after a few years after that, I just lost complete interest in the political stuff. Yeah. So, what about this uh, this uh, your athleticism here? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So I was I was a baseball player for a long time. I played baseball growing up. I played in college, and then played a, a few years overseas afterward and um japan no i played in sweden and then south wow. africa so sweet yeah so it was a fantastic experience and um gave me time to because i was only working you know a few hours every day coaching practices and participating in practices gave me time to sit down and write novels which is which was nice um but eventually i realized I wasn't going to go much farther than being a you know, marginally successful uh, semi-pro player in, in countries that weren't known for baseball. Um, so I you know, came back home, went back to grad school, uh, but I got into doing endurance races, so marathons and triathlons, that sort of thing, as a way to 
you know, keep competing in something. Yeah, yeah. What position did you play? Uh, mostly shortstop when I was playing baseball. Nice. I like yeah. it. I'm a shortstop myself. Yeah. And beer league, yeah. And softball. Yeah. I've been called <laughs> the best uh, beer league the best shortstop beer league east side of Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. You, no, I haven't. At no this point, one, no you one said that. better than me because I haven't played baseball in <laughs> several years. This is the first year I took off, actually, in a few. So, so do you still run a lot, and do you still do you still participate in that kind of thing? I, yeah, I, I, do, I find yeah, that so interesting. I've, that the triathlete type stuff. It's uh, I'm not much of an endurance. Like I've, I'm uh, I'm athletic and and try and stay fit, but the endurance stuff is uh, is difficult. Yeah, so it was especially coming from a, a baseball background. It's something that I had to work up to. From you know, in baseball, the most you ever have to run is <laughs> three hundred sixty feet around the bases. Yeah, that's, that, yeah. that's pretty rare. Um, to once a night, to, <laughs> right? Being able to run for a couple hours. Um, so it's something I definitely had to work up to. Um, but yeah, so, so I enjoy, it. especially I've kind of moved more into triathlons now because I do like the variety of having to do multiple sports and not just focusing on one thing. So that's the biking, swimming, running? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I'd like to start with a mini one. Is there like mini ones you can do? Like little... Still doing around like a mini sh- triathlon? Just do your yeah, own. Yeah, pretty much for all distances. Um, I've done some indoor triathlons even where it's like, you know, swim for 15 minutes, bike for 15 minutes, run for 15 minutes and... That's yeah, it. yeah. So just go See, do it at the gym. Yeah, well, yeah. I used to go to a gym time, that had a yeah. big Olympic pool, and I could do that. I like to, yeah, swim a little bit, and but it's, uh, I don't know, when I'm running, I like to try and run outdoors instead of indoors. But I, it would be good to do a little mini one indoors. Yeah, I, I think they're fun. I mean, it's you know, I do agree. I prefer running outdoors, but in January in Chicago, it's a, it's a nice distraction. It's a nice option to have. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> you guys have big, big. Uh, <clears throat> big uh, gyms out there that you can you have like big Olympic sized pools and a track and all that inside. Um, occasionally, most of the gyms, at least in the city, have twenty five meter pools, twenty five yard pools, so they're not full Olympic size, but they're they're big enough that you can yeah. swim decent laps. Um, and the the gym where I did my indoor triathlon, I had a uh, a track that was probably well maybe a tenth of a mile long, so you wouldn't want to run on it for more than you know, 15 minutes to a half hour, but for, for indoor triathlon, I did the trick. Yeah. 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 That sounds like the place that, that we have here in Calgary as well. Which one? The talisman center. They call oh, it. I've never been in there. Yeah. It's pretty good. That's the weird tent fucker. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> so how did your book, uh, how did your book do? And were you, were you, uh, obviously it was up for some wars and shit like that. Is that, was that expected or did, was that a surprise for you? Um, I was definitely surprised. I mean, the, the my publisher was kind of excited when she got uh, when you know she wanted to enter into a lot of uh, contests, and I was like, okay, you know, don't really know what to expect. So yeah, I was excited when it was it was named a finalist, um, and it ended up not winning, but I, think I was you know happy nonetheless. Yeah, hmm. and are you planning on doing another one? Um, yeah, in fact, I just finished the manuscript for my second novel, so um, going to probably may have to end up probably shopping that one around because the publisher I had for my first novel has stopped publishing fiction. So um, she's been 
nice enough to take a look at it, and she's got it right now, so she's going to give me some notes, but then um, I'm going to have to send it out to another publisher or find, a, find an agent to represent me and find a, a new home for this one. What's the premise? Uh, the premise of the second novel, which right now is titled uh, Fire's Lantern, is it's a choose-your-own-adventure novel. Nice. So if you, you remember reading those books when you were a kid where, you know, Timmy goes into the cave and he has to choose whether to go down the the path to the right or the path to the left and, you know, you choose and you see what happens. Um, so this is slightly more grown up than that. Um, but there's two main threads running through the, the course of the novel. And the first one is that you agree to participate in this university MRI experiment. So you go in and, and you're put into a MRI scanner, <clears throat> taking you know, pictures of your brain. And as you do this, you watch a video. Um, and on the video, it's explained to you that you're going to come back to the lab in one week after this MRI scan, and you're going to have a choice. You're going to sit in front of a table, and there are going to be two boxes on the table. The first box contains $1,000, and the second box contains either nothing or $1 million. You get to choose either to take both boxes or to take only the second box, the box that you don't know what's in it. It's either nothing or $1 million. I'm just going to take the second box. Um, so the MRI, as you're doing this, is scanning your brain, and the scientist who's running the MRI uses the results afterward to predict what you're going to take. Um, if the scientists in the MRI think that you're going to take both boxes, it puts nothing in the second box. If it thinks you're just going to take the second box, then it puts a million dollars in the second box. And the, you're told that this um, this procedure has been about 90% accurate in the past in making its predictions. So the this one main thread is, you know, what do you choose? And there are arguments on both sides. Um, the second thread is that the day after the MRI experiment, you're called into jury duty, and you're assigned a, a trial, which is uh, this university professor is accused of second-degree murder. And the scenario is he's this professor is asleep in bed with his wife one night. Um, his wife hears a noise from the downstairs of their home. She wakes up and goes downstairs. The husband hears her, hears the noise and wakes up after her, takes uh, his gun from the safe in their bedroom, follows her downstairs. As he's going downstairs, he hears gunshots, runs down the stairs to see his wife dead and a man, an intruder in their home, standing there with a gun. So the intruder flees, the, the professor, the husband, fires after him as he, as he leaves the house, but misses and the guy escapes. The professor is walking down the street. Um, he sees a man holding up a woman in an alley off the street. Um, he kind of sneaks up behind the, the assailant knocks him to the ground, knocks his gun away. The woman runs away. The professor picks up the gun and is going to hold the assailant there until the woman calls the police and the police arrive to arrest him. And then when the this would-be thief turns over and the professor gets to look at his face, he realizes that it's his wife's killer, shoots him dead. So the professor is on trial for being accused of voluntary mad slaughter and, and murder for, for killing this his wife's killer and would-be thief. So that's the second main threat. And there, again, there are arguments on either side, and there are offshoots of different paths you can choose and different scenarios that happen in um, 
other choice you have to make throughout the novel. Wow. So the, so the prediction of the MRI was based on your previous MRI scan? Yeah. So, so, they, like, so that they can sort of tell, like, what your brain looks like, and then they can sort of suss out, like, if you're going to pick, like, how much risk you'll take or whatever. It's like the fugitive me too wants to be a millionaire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could put that on the back if you want. <laughs> uh, no, it's a good tagline. <laughs> oh, that's funny. What was I going to say about That's funny. Thing? We've got, uh, you know, I haven't seen a Choose Your Own Adventure book in about, fucking 15 years 15 probably 20 years and then all of a sudden this is the second one i've come across in less than six months no really we had a listener send us uh masato toys sent us his choose your adventure and i was like you were the president or something oh okay and it was like the end of the world so there's that one was like aliens and ufos and all sorts of fun stuff okay cool yeah they're they're fun i mean i enjoyed them when i was a kid you know you always have to go back and read the other path and see what happened and what would have happened if you had chosen that one. Do the threads, do the threads yeah, I combine? Remember you you all, always or? marked your last page with your thumb when you went to head to the right. other one and you're like, oh, I don't like it. Sometimes <laughs> right, it's just exactly. you're dead, the end, motherfucker. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Huh. So, uh, so uh, what about after that? Um, so after that, I, I think... Going back to uh, some of the, the gun stuff we were talking about earlier, I, the plan next is to write a book about um, uh, a mass shooting. Oh, fuck, really? Yeah, so I, I don't exactly know where this is going yet. But, um, I, I'm going to have to start doing some research and kind of into a lot of psychology and that sort of thing, but um, that's, that's going to be the gist of it. Hmm. Any thoughts about putting your your book Our Drive Voices on audio at all? Um, yeah, I think um, the publisher is working on doing that. Um, so I'm not sure exactly what the status is, but I think the eventual plan is to get on audio. That's great. Can I recommend a science fiction narrator? Yeah, <laughs> Graham Dunlop. <laughs> no, Stefan Rudnicki or okay. Rudnicki, and uh, and and uh, oh, what's the other guy's name? Scott. Uh, Scott Brick. I know there's something about those two narrators. Like I almost look for audiobooks based on like which ones they're narrating. Cause they're just, there's something about the way they do it. <laughs> Darren's shaking his head at me, but yeah, I don't know. I just love, I, I just love the way they, they tell it's the stories. It's just a man crush. You got a little man crush on those guys. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'll pass it along. So are these like, these are the celebrities of the sci-fi Maybe yeah, I I don't know like I don't know because I just came across them like they do a lot of um, Orson Scott Card stuff and Ben Bova okay. Ben Bova stuff so but they also do a lot of you know one off books as well yeah okay yeah, yeah. what about movie buzz any movie buzz um so I, I did have a, I have a script right now um which is called Vita it was optioned earlier this year which basically means that a, a producer you make an agreement with a producer to give the producer rights to that script for a certain period of time so the producer has exclusive rights to um, develop your script and uh, possibly buy it and turn it into a movie um, um, although he has the option not to and but during that option period um, I as a screenwriter can't be shopping my script around to other people Right. So right. I, I signed an option. Um, the option expired last month, um, and nothing ended, ended up happening. So it kind of 
back to square one with that, with finding it, a producer and finding a market for it. So that's so you are doing that then. Yeah. yeah. It seems like it would make a good movie. Um, yeah. So the screenplay is entirely different. Oh, okay. Thanks. Yeah. What's that about? The screenplay is about, uh, it's called Vita. It's about a, um, two friends who are, you know, these young, successful, um, intelligent guys and, um, been friends since college. And, uh, one day one of them is driving home and gets into a car accident and ends up being paralyzed. Um, so that's sort of the inciting incident. And then the film picks up a year later after this one guy has been paralyzed. His name is Vincent. Um, has kind of been struggling with, you know, coming to grips with his injury and working back and kind of reestablishing control over his life. Um, and they meet in a bar and they're talking to each other. And we find out that over the course of the year, since Vincent's accident, um, his wife had an affair with another man and his wife was actually just murdered. Um, and uh, so the rest of the movie kind of, uh, no. <laughs> so yeah. So part of the movie is find out who murdered her, but the rest of the movie is kind of told in flashback going back to the year from Vincent Zach's and leading up to this scene in the bar. Huh, interesting. Just finding out, finding out, you know, what happened with Vincent and his wife and, how the other friend, his friend within the bar, Philip, is involved in everything that's went on in the past year. Have you thought about doing a screenplay for our droid voices? Um, I, very briefly. Um, right now, I kind of want to give it a little bit of run as a novel and see um, how that goes. And then if it has kind of gauged sort of the popularity of it as a novel first before I start trying to build it into something else. How do you find the time to even, to even write? <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I keep busy. So uh, a lot of the writing, you know, I do a couple hours on the weekends and during lunch at work and, you know, the evenings when I get home from work and that sort of thing. So it's kind of a lot of the writing just fitting in time here and there. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So ideally would you, would you quit your job and become a writer if you could? I don't know because I do like my day job and I think it's yeah. interesting. Um, yeah. If you know, I were to become a world-renowned writer, uh, I, maybe the first step would be try to go part-time with my day job and see if that worked out. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not. Wait. I'm not quite ready to just cut it off entirely and devote my all my time to writing. Oh, that's good. That's a good spot to be in. Yeah. Yeah. I quit my job tomorrow. <laughs> Just kidding, Kev. <laughs> Seriously, though. <laughs> right on, Greg. Well, I don't know. It's been a nice chat. Is there anything else you uh, want to mention before we start wrapping up? Um, yeah. So, I've, I've, if your listeners are interested, um, obviously the book is called Our Ride Voices. That's the only thing I have that's actually out in a, a physical product right now. Yeah. Um, so, if they're interested, it's on Amazon. Um, if you're like me and you don't necessarily want to buy things unless you have a good idea that you might like it. Um, you can go to my website, which is my name, Greg Hickey writes W R I T E S 
Um, you can sign up for my newsletter, and then I'll send you the first couple chapters of the book for free. And you can kind of make your decision at that point whether you think it's worth your full your full read, I guess. Yeah, nice. I like that. That's good. Right on. Well, I'm going to link to all that in the show notes as all right, well. Thank you. Um, I've got your website in front of me here, and yeah, that's uh, that's good. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on, Greg. No problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I'll, and uh, if you do turn it into a movie, then I want to be the clever kid. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah and uh and when you get your uh choose your own adventure uh, book out uh give us a shout yeah definitely will all right buddy thanks a lot thanks a lot okay bye chat with Greg Hickey chatting about ballistics and CSI shit yeah fun stuff I should have been a CSI but um, what'd you think yeah it was it was interesting yeah I like having authors on that are you know writing about cool shit dystopian futures and the, the like come out with a choose your own adventure too we have a choose your own adventure. I know. We'll have two. We should. We'll have two choose your own adventures in our collection. Yeah, first two that I've ever seen in twenty five years. Sounds like about right for me too. I would say. You can hear this stupid heater. That's nah, only outro. It's only the outro. Well, what do we even bother doing it for the? I don't know. It feels proper. You know, we could just cut the show off. You know, it's fucking time and nonsense we could save if we no. just ended it after the intro. Really? After the interview. Well, we have to beg for money and shit, too, though. That's right. Speaking which of I, which. Which I said I would never do at the beginning. <laughs> You've gotten pretty good at it, though. I didn't realize it was going to be so expensive. <laughs> I thought <laughs> I'm going to use a little $10 headset and a laptop. <laughs> And now we're in our own little studio, and yeah. And the plot thickens. Yeah, but man, thanks to all the people that have helped out. It's possible. Yeah, big thanks to all our supporters, especially our monthlies. And uh, check out grammarica.ca slash support. There's a bunch of different options there for you can help us out either one time or sign up for a monthly. Uh, anywhere from a buck a month to to 30 bucks a month or something like that. And uh, the most common, I would say, is the five buck a month there, which is about a buck an episode, which is really all we ask. If you guys like the show and you enjoy the, you know, couple hours of entertainment, you think it's worth a buck, and sign up for one of our products. Maybe you think it's worth a quarter. You can sign up for a buck a month. 
Did you mention the t-shirts? Because that's another good way to support us too. Yes, we have uh, Save Sasquatch. Couple, have, couple only left the Save Sasquatch. Save, Save Sasquatch supplies are running out. So if you want those for Christmas, we do have a fresh batch of Take the Shots, and we have some gray classic Grimerica tees. Um, so yeah, if you want to get those for Christmas presents, one-of-a-kind t-shirts, guaranteed you'll be the only one in your name. Actually, maybe that'd be weird if you ran. It'd be pretty weird if you ran into someone else wearing a Grimerica shirt. If you do, write but that, you know write right that away they're cool. And you guys are going to be instant buddies. Yeah. So get your shirts, uh, donations of $25 or more. Of course, more always helps. I think we break about even at 25. Um, uh, overseas, so anyone not in North America, we're going to charge $30 or more. Um, Actually, just, it's, it's more Just expensive. to cover the extra shipping. It's more expensive to ship in Canada. Is it? Yeah. Can you believe it? Huh. So should we, brutal, eh? should we? How bad is that when it's easier for me to ship something down south? It's like flying in Canada. It's probably well, cheaper for me, for me to fly to overseas. LA than to fly to Vancouver. I'm talking overseas, though. The States is still at 25. <clears throat> yeah, no, I'm just saying it's cheaper. Should we charge more to Canadians? Sure. The dollar. <laughs> we already, we are, we already, we already do because the their dollar isn't yeah. worth shit. So we'll, we'll call it even. Yeah. We'll eat the shipping. So yeah, check out grimmerica.ca slash support. All the options are there. Um, of course, if you can't... Uh, you can't pull that together. We do really appreciate it if you can review the show, america.ca slash iTunes on iOS, uh, Mac, if you have iTunes. If not, you can head over to Stitcher and leave a review there. And um, spam Gram, send in your synchros, trip reports, all that shit, so that we can use it as content in the intro and make the show more about you guys. And, uh, of course, the easiest and most important way to help the show is to tell people about the show yeah thank you get people that haven't heard of podcasting into podcasting by signing them up for the newsletter for america.ca slash news it'll change their life yeah positively all right guys thanks for listening and uh we will see you next week <laughs>